In his previous 12 seasons as general manager of the Seahawks, John Schneider has never traded up in the first round, but with a top 10 pick and a bunch of day two selections each of the next two drafts, might he buck trends and move up in the top 10? Rob Rang and I are going to explore some scenarios where the Seahawks could slide up even into the top five on our latest installment of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Tuesday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks as always for making Locked On Seahawks. Your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We are now 48 hours away from the start of the 2022 NFL Draft. The hay's in the barn. We're going to wrap up our coverage here over the next few days. We've got our final two selections in our annual dual mock draft, two seventh-round selections. Rob and I will be breaking down. Plus, we're going to explore the possibility that Trader John could go a different direction this year and move up in the top 10 with Seattle's number nine overall selection. Jam-packed episode coming your way. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. We're now only a couple days away from the 2022 NFL Draft. Teams have wrapped up their top 30 visits. And while a few have slipped through the cracks, Rob, we've got a pretty good idea now which players came to Seattle for their top 30 visits. We know now of 24 players that came to the VMAC. You also had a few local visits, Kate Otten, the tight end from Washington being one of those players, but 24 non-local visits that have been reported for the Seahawks. Looking at the list, these are players that we have draftable grades for here on the Locked On Seahawks podcast. Cincinnati quarterback Desmond Ritter. Cincinnati corner, Ahmad Gardner, Penn State tackle Rasheed Walker, Texas A&M defensive end Michael Clemens, Nebraska corner Cam Taylor-Britt, Minnesota pass rusher Boye Mafe, Georgia safety Lewis Seen, North Dakota State receiver Christian Watson, as well as Nevada receiver Romeo Dubs, uh, Chattanooga center Cole Strange, Baylor corner Kalen Barnes, Louisiana safety Percy Butler, North Carolina running back Ty Chandler and Nebraska receivers Samori Toure. So a handful of players there that we have draftable grades for and a lot of players there that could be gone in the first three rounds. Who jumps out to you from this list as far as a potential target for the Seahawks when we get to the draft on Thursday? Well, there's an awful lot of really fun names on that list, Corbin. Um, you know, I, to me, one of the things that immediately jumped out is, is the fact that, that Desmond Ritter, of course, the quarterback from Cincinnati, was on that list. And and I've been able to kind of confirm just, just watching the, the YouTube tape um, of the pro days for the rest of the top quarterbacks. Um, not only did Seattle have the scout that you would expect uh, at those other quarterback workouts, but they also had their quarterback coach, Dave Canales, there. Uh, for Malik Willis's pro day at Liberty, um, Kenny Pickett's pro day at Pittsburgh, uh, North Carolina's uh, Sam Howell, they had, again, were, were well represented there. Um, and, and then the, the same thing with Matt Corral. I was unable to uh, to verify based on the, the combine or, excuse me, the, the pro day footage on YouTube that Dave Canales was there for Desmond Ritter's 
pro day. And maybe he was, maybe he, um, maybe it was just kind of a complicated schedule, but I think that's interesting that the Seahawks did bring in Desmond Ritter, uh, for that top 30 visit, considering that Ritter was a four year starter at Cincinnati participated in the senior bowl, of course, where he starred participated in the combine where he starred for Seattle to bring him in at this point, I think very much shows that they are interested and really did want to kind of kick the tires and see what he had, what he's all about. The same thing, obviously the cornerback sauce Gardner, there's a possibility that he's there at number nine overall. And you also want to be able to interview a cornerback who is going against the quarterback. Both players are going to be able to give you a different insight into what the other presents and that to me again is one of the things that i thought was fascinating about this is it's not only the cincinnati players here that you have kind of you're interviewing both of them but the same thing there with a couple of nebraska players cam taylor Bray is a, is a defensive back that you and i have talked about before is a guy who has that that kind of sea hockey kind of traits a big physical guy who played at the safety position previously switched over to cornerback position and then smart tour the, the wide receiver you know again you're going to get a different level of perspective when you bring in both the receiver and the defensive back uh, and be able to kind of see what they think of each other who was the toughest guy on your team i think that's something that seahawks have always kind of prioritized so i thought that it was fascinating they doubled up with the two players from Cincinnati, the two players from Nebraska, I would be surprised based on what we're seeing here and knowing that Seattle has put a lot of emphasis in terms of who they bring in and getting some insight from these players. I would not be surprised at all if Seattle winds up selecting at least somebody from Cincinnati and somebody from Nebraska. And I like that you mentioned the matchup thing with teammates because what jumps out to me, two players that went against each other in the Big Ten, but they weren't on the same team. Boye Mafe, the defensive end for Minnesota, and Rashid Walker, the left tackle from Penn State. You're talking about two guys that were multi-year starters playing in the rugged Big Ten Conference. And I've talked time and time again about Rashid Walker because of the competition he's gone against, not just on game day, but having to deal with players like Micah Parsons, Yitor Gross Matos, players like that at practice. Penn State has had a bunch of pass rushers that have been picked in the first couple of rounds the last few years that have come into the league and had really great success in the NFL, particularly Parsons last year as offensive player of the year. So you know that he's going to come into the NFL tested, not just in game settings, but also on the practice field. And Boye Mafe has gone against some pretty darn good tackles on Minnesota's roster, as well as the Big Ten. And so those two players, the Seahawks might be trying to ask him a little bit, hey, do you remember your experiences going up against Rasheed Walker or vice versa? And just kind of, you know, going at their brains a little bit, what do, you, what do you remember best about your experience of the Big Ten? Because there's a lot of NFL talent that comes out of that conference. And so I'm intrigued by both those players as day two possibilities, maybe even day one, if the Seahawks wanted to trade back into the first round, as we talked about on yesterday's episode. Boye Mafe is a player that I think has a really good chance to go in the first round, is an incredible athlete, that might be one of those players late first round that John Schneider thinks about trading back up to get. And Rasheed Walker is a really good value pick on day two as a three-year starter at Penn State. 
Yeah, he absolutely is. And and I think that um it, I think there's a possibility that the Seattle might be looking to trade back up into the late portion of the first round. We of course broke down those possibilities yesterday. I also think that uh the wide receiver position, you know, I mean, when you have guys like DK Metcalf and, and Tyler Lockett, and there's all this buzz that Seattle might be entertaining the possibility of trading DK Metcalf. I don't think that that's necessarily going to happen, but when you have, have a player like a Christian Watson, for example, a Romeo dubs, and you bring them in for those top 40, uh, or excuse me, top 30 kind of private workouts and private interviews, uh, you know, those visits, I, I think that that's kind of lends a little bit more, uh, you know, wood to the fire, so to speak, that, that maybe Seattle is looking at some other wide receiver options. Now, maybe not so much with Romeo Dubs. I think that was, we described before that, that he might be a day three prospect, considering that he's coming off of the injury um, and was unable to work out at the combine or his pro day. I think this might be Seattle just doing his due diligence. I, I as I explained before, I think that, that Romeo Dubs is a nice fit in Seattle's offense. I really like them bringing him in and kind of just kicking the tires on him a little bit. But Christian Watson, on the other hand, I, I would be stunned if he, if he is not selected among the top 50 selections. Seattle, of course, is going to have three of those picks. So if you considering the other needs on this club, I, I would be surprised to see Seattle use one of those top three picks, number nine, number 40, number 41, on a wide receiver. So to me, this is a little bit of like a, oh, wow, maybe Seattle is looking at game, bringing another big wide receiver who can run, who is coming from a, a, a run first kind of offense at North Dakota State and who was absolutely spectacular at the Senior Bowl and the Combine. Really, really turned a lot of heads. I think you can make a case that he might have been one of the biggest risers from this entire process. And anybody who watched the tape at North Dakota State already knew that. Certainly the Seahawks knew that, but at the same time to bring him in, I think is a, is a tell a little bit about that. They are really intrigued by this young man. And I am as well. I think he's a really good football player. I would be excited about what he might be offered, might be able to offer the Seahawks, whether it be as a compliment to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, or perhaps as a little bit of a replacement. Well, and you also got to wonder because Tyler Lockett isn't going to get moved now, but he's going to be north of 30 next year. And next season, he's going to be a player you could move to open up some cap space. They might be thinking a year ahead and draft a receiver early, or this could be an indictment on D. Eskridge after an injury-marred rookie season. It could be a sign that maybe they aren't as confident in, in him. And smart organizations move on from draft picks that don't pan out fairly quickly. I think that that's not the case. I think they still believe in Eskridge. But nonetheless, you're only as good as your third best receiver in today's NFL. So nothing wrong with taking a look at some top guys. And clearly the Seahawks are doing that. When we return for the second quarter, we're going to wrap up our dual mock draft. We've had our first Six rounds worth of picks up to this point. We've got a pair of seventh rounders left. Who did Rob and I select? We're going to be diving into those selections here in a moment. Corbin, before we break down our duly mock drafts, what we think may happen this Saturday, I want to talk to you about a product my wife and I use literally every day. We started taking AG1 from Athletic Greens because we want an easy, delicious way of improving our gut health, and we found it. With one delicious scoop of this green canister of AG1, we, and you as well, could be absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. 
This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. It's lifestyle friendly. We drink it first thing in the morning, even before our coffee. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, nor artificial anything, while still tasting good. We experience better, sounder sleep and recovery. It supports mental clarity and alertness. Athletic Greens doesn't just make it easy to get healthy. It is easy to get, too. That's because Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash NFL Network. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash NFL Network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting stats and sports information. Find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's basketball playoffs and the start of the Major League Baseball season. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting and wagering informational needs, from live betting to the playoffs, esports, and more. Head to their website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. For the first time ever, Locked On is hosting live coverage of the 2022 NFL Draft from their studios in Dallas with pick-by-pick analysis from our local team of experts and draft gurus. Tune in all three days as our draft team guides you through every pick and every trade in real time. It all starts on Thursday, April 28th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, available on the Locked in NFL YouTube channel, as well as the Odyssey app. We have reached the end of the line, Rob, our dual mock draft. We have covered all of our picks through the fifth round. We did not have a sixth round selection, but we do have two seventh rounders to put a bow on our respective drafts. Up to this point, I think you and I have both been pretty pleased with the hauls that we've been able to bring in to add to Seattle's roster. Now we can see if we can find some seventh round gems. And we're going to start off here, pick 229. This is one of the Seahawks native selections going into this draft. And you picked a player that, quite frankly, most places that I've looked don't even have a draftable grade for. But if you have watched Pittsburgh play, Lucas Kroll is a very underrated tight end in this class. Well, he is, uh, you know, considering what he did this past season at Pittsburgh, but he was barely on the radar in anything prior to this. Now, I, I say that from an NFL scouting perspective, Corbin, he certainly was on the radar in terms of a recruit and not just as a recruit as a football player, but as a major league baseball prospect. I mean, this kid looks the part of a professional athlete, um, played a lot of baseball over his uh, you know early prep career and even into college, wound up going to the University of Florida when his baseball career just kind of fizzled out because, hey, he just didn't throw enough strikes. Um, as, as a pitcher, but went to Florida, really impressed people with in terms of his physicality, in terms of his athletic ability, just couldn't put it all together. Um, but still wound up transferring to Pittsburgh and, and became a really reliable red zone threat for Pittsburgh. Caught the only six touchdowns of his entire college career this past season for Pitt. And then where I really kind of became a fan of Kroll is at the East-West Shrine Bowl where I saw a guy who is a good-looking athlete, um, could move and certainly could move people at the line of scrimmage as a blocker. 
Corbin, this kid's going to get drafted. I, I think it's kind of comical that there's a lot of draft analysts out there who don't view him as a draftable commodity. In, in terms of this year's tight end class, there are not a lot of guys who look the part, who run the part, who can catch, who can block. Kroll can do all those things. He, again, is, I believe, certainly is going to be drafted. And I think that he kind of fits in with what Seattle looks to do. And we've talked before. Seattle is basically loaded at the tight end position. But at the same time, when you're drafting this late, you're not worried about positional depth chart or anything like that. You're just looking for the best available, best player available. Kroll can be that kind of a guy. I think that he is one of those guys that um, – it's going to surprise some people. He's on my Diamonds in the Rough article, just literally posted today at, at foxsports.com, and a prominent player on that list. He is one of the guys I'm absolutely banging the table for as a guy that is going to be selected a lot earlier than people expect. Yeah, and I'm going to talk about a player that I picked here at pick 229 that I think there are some similarities in terms of path here. And Samori Toure was actually a record-setting receiver at Montana at the FCS level and wound up at Nebraska last season. And what really intrigues me about this kid, obviously, as we mentioned in the first quarter, the Seahawks already have shown interest in him. They've had him in for one of their top 30 visits. But this is a player that has a really unique blend of size and athleticism at the receiver position. I believe he's six foot three and ran in the four fours. A guy that didn't have great numbers necessarily in his lone season at Nebraska. But again, this is a guy that's put up some big numbers at the FCS level. He had over almost 2,500 yards and 20 touchdowns playing at Montana, then ends up at Nebraska this past season. And this is a guy that isn't necessarily the best route runner, but he's got the ability to win downfield. He can win competitive catches. Not a guy that's going to break a lot of tackles, but he's just productive. He gets the job done. He gets open and didn't have great quarterback play at Nebraska. I think in the NFL, and we'll see who's playing quarterback for the Seahawks, but this is a guy that you could get late on day three that could push for a roster spot as a rookie. And that's all you can ask for when you get to the seventh round. Now let's look at our next pick. We literally had back-to-back -back picks. That's really the theme of this Seahawks draft. I believe this is the third time that we had back-to-back -back picks. And at pick 230, you went local, Rob, at the center position with Luke Wattenberg, a center that feels like he's been playing at Mott Lake since I was born. He's been there a long time. And then I picked one of my favorite running backs in this class. And a lot of our listeners might be wondering, he waited till the seventh round to pick a running back? Well, if I can get Abram Smith in the seventh round, I'll wait to pick one to the seventh round every year because I think he is a far better player than a seventh rounder. Well, ditto with Wattenberg at the center position. And look, I, hey, I have all, all due respect to the University of Washington. Frankly, I don't give a damn about where you played college ball as long as you are able to hold up at the point of attack at both the center and guard positions, which is what Wattenberg was able to do. Heck, he, he played the tackle as well. Again, I, I mentioned the East-West Shrine Bowl where Kroll stood out. That is where Wattenberg really kind of turned my head a little bit because I have been watching Wattenberg for pretty much since you were an infant, Corbin, uh, at, at the University of Washington. And, and, you know, he's been a good, reliable, consistent player. But 
at the same time, I think that you sometimes you get a little bit kind of overshadowed by some of the other talent that the University of Washington has had along their offensive line over the last couple of years. But going to the East-West Shrine Bowl, watching him in Las Vegas, and just seeing him ask for extra coaching in between practices, seeing the way that he was able to, uh, you know, just kind of seamlessly switch positions and really show his physicality, his athletic ability, his length. Uh, this is a guy who kind of fits in well with what Seattle has preferred in the past at the center position. Perhaps they're going to be going for those smaller, quicker guys. That's obviously what they did here with Austin Blythe as a, a free agent addition. But if you're looking for a guy who's 6'5", 300 pounds, has a 33-inch arms, is quicker than people want to give him credit for, stronger than people want to give him credit for, and again, has that positional versatility in the seventh round. Yeah, sign me up. I think this is a guy who is going to make an NFL roster. Maybe not the active roster. Maybe he's a practice squad kind of a guy, but a developmental guy who has not only the physical talent, but the heart that you're looking for to be able to scratch out an NFL career. And then when you look at Abram Smith, I don't know that you could find a running back in this class when you put everything together, including off-field stuff that is a better fit for the Seahawks, particularly at this spot in the draft, because how ironic is this, Rob? He has the same agency as Chris Carson. Chris Carson came into the NFL out of Oklahoma State as a seventh-round pick. I'm picking Abram Smith here in the seventh round. Carson was 218 pounds coming out of Oklahoma State. Abram Smith is between 213 and 215, depending what weight you look at, whether it is senior bowl or combine. He is in the low 210s range, but very similar build to Chris Carson. You watch him on tape, and I see so many similarities. And, and you and I have talked about this on the show. I don't like making comps when I look at college kids compared to NFL players. Sometimes I'll look at specific traits and be like, oh, this reminds me of this player. But I'm not big on comps. But when I watch Abram Smith, I've put on a bunch of tape looking at Baylor's games last year. This is a guy that was a linebacker for three years and started at linebacker for Baylor. They moved him to running back for his senior season over 1,600 yards. And I would bet you about 60% of those came after contact based on what I've watched. I mean, this guy, his contact balance is incredible. I don't think he's a home run hitting threat. Chris Carson isn't either. This is not a guy that's going to rip off in the NFL a bunch of 60, 70-yard runs. He's not Rashad Penny. But this is a guy that will move the chains. He's a reliable pass protector. And if you need a linebacker in a pinch, this is a guy you could throw in a lineup. It's Nick Bullor. 2.0, a guy that could play some snaps for you in the NFL on defense. He's that talented of a player. He brings the wood as a ball carrier, finishes with authority. He can catch the ball. So I think this is a guy that should go early on day three, and yet a lot of these draft simulators have him with a late seventh round or undrafted grade. I just don't get it. Yeah, and that would, again, be one of the things that we've kind of talked about already, the, the draft simulations. Um, this is this was our, our simulation through the draft network, and so we are kind of left to select whatever players are available to us. But I have to agree with you in both of your picks, really. I mean, Torre, to me, clearly Seattle's interested in bringing him in for a top 30 visit. I mean, intriguing athlete. And then Abram Smith, the contact balance, the positional versatility. Um, I love that you mentioned the, the Nick Ballore. I mean, obviously different types of players. Players, but still, the ability to be able to switch back and forth. I think special teams, he's got, again, got that kind of heart that, that Seattle loves. And just, hey, when you're, when you're drafting this late, you're looking for physical players who have that want to. 
And in both of these players that we just talked about, Luke Wattenberg as a you know four season starter, and then with Abram Smith as a guy who you know just tell me what position you want me to play, coach, and I am there. That's the kind of guys the Seahawks have won with in the past. So yeah, I think that both of these selections that uh, the Seahawks fans should Seattle actually make those picks or bring these guys in as undrafted free agents. If that be the case, these are the guys that can actually make your roster. Yeah, and I'm excited. I, I can't wait. Tomorrow we're going to have a chance to look back at these mock drafts in full, all seven rounds, and compare the rosters, discuss. You know, I have a few things that I would have loved to change up a little bit. I'm sure you would have been. I'm thinking that's how every draft is. There's always a critical point where, like, man, if I would have done this, or you can't live with regrets. But certainly with mock simulators, you can. I can go pull another draft and see if I can do better this time around. But we are running out of time to do that anyway. John Schneider has never traded up in the first round. Could he potentially do it this year with all the picks they have in the top 75 and the number nine overall selection? We're going to be exploring some potential trade-ups to go even higher into the top 10 when we return here in a moment. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Why choose to spend 30, 50, or even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Their prices are reliably low for every customer, and they have everything you could possibly ask for, whether it's brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto parts needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck and write Locked On in their How'd You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined as always by Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. John Schneider is known for his propensity for making draft weekend trades. We've talked about this a lot over the past few weeks. Bill Belichick being the only general manager out there that has traded more on draft weekend since 2011 than Schneider who up to this point has made 30 trades since 2011. But as we talked about yesterday, a lot of those trades have been moving up, and it's been on day two. That has been the hot spot, going up and getting DK Metcalf, getting Tyler Lockett trading a bunch of picks to move back in the third round, Jaron Reed more recently, Daryl Taylor in 2020. So John Schneider will be aggressive when he wants to be, moving up to get that player on day two that he covets. What we haven't seen him do to this point, though, is trade up in the first round. It's always been the opposite. If they do have a first rounder, they are moving down to try to recoup picks. But this is only the second time they've had a top 10 pick, Rob, and that may change the game a little bit, especially when Seattle's got two second rounders and a third rounder. If there's a guy they want, they could go and get that player. They certainly could. And, you know, we've talked about this. I mean, trying to predict what the Seahawks are going to do will add a lot of gray hair to your temple um, because John Schneider and Pete Carroll, you know, they just love to kind of throw curveballs when everybody else is looking for that fastball. And, uh, you know, I... I admire that. I, I admire the courage to kind of stand with what you want to do. And I think that we're all talking about, you know, Seattle's going to stand pat or Seattle's going to trade down. 
So I think that this is a, a good exercise here for us to just kind of say, okay, what is the other curveball that the Seahawks could have in store for us? And as you mentioned, Seattle having the two second round picks, not only this year, but next year, the two first round picks next year as well. If they, if there is a quarterback that they are absolutely in love with, then you cannot just hope that he is going to fall back down to you at number nine overall when you have clubs like the Carolina Panthers and your former, uh, you know, cohort and Scott Fitterer now is running that club. The Atlanta Falcons, number eight overall, certainly have needs at the quarterback position. You go all the way up to number two, Detroit, number three, Houston have all needs of the quarterback position. If you're going to be aggressive, let's go. Let's do it. You you now have those draft picks to be able to do so. So again, I, I would just throw out this caveat. I, I don't think that Seattle is going to be trading up, but I think that it's wise to at least explore the possibility with some of these different draft selections. And I don't think that it necessarily has to just be a quarterback. We've talked before about how critical it is that Seattle improves their pass rush. I personally believe that there are four elite pass rushers, and I don't expect any of them to be available to Seattle at number nine overall. So should a Kayvon Thibodeau start to slip down a little bit? Or an Aiden Hutchinson, for that matter? Or Jermaine Johnson, the guy that I think is the best fit for what Seattle is looking to do. Should he start to slip down the board a little bit? Scott Fitter is sitting there at number six overall without a draft pick in the second or third rounds. When again, Seattle has three of them. Maybe you look to move up. So to me, this is something that we, we should be exploring. And I think there's a lot of different trade opportunities out there. Just starting with the Detroit Lions. I mean, if you're going to move up, move up boldly. And so if you look at what the Lions, a, a possible offer of what the Lions might be able to do here, then yeah, it, it would cost a lot. If you're going to be moving in the top 10, you may have to give up a lot. And if those of us who are on YouTube can actually watch that right now, Seattle to move up to number two overall in terms of the Rich Hill draft trade chart, Seattle would have to give up a boatload of selections, number nine overall, number 40 overall, number 41 overall, 72, 109. You're giving up your first, second, third, fourth round picks, both second round picks to move up. But yeah, then you're at number two overall. And I again, I don't think that this is the likeliest of scenarios, but if Seattle does fall in love with the player in this draft class, Corbett, they don't have to go in to the 2023 class. They can just package some picks and move up in this draft class and go up and get that blue chip superstar player if that's who they view as the kind of guy that can put this franchise on the right path towards winning another Super Bowl. I call this the Aiden Hutchinson mortgage plan because – it's going to have to be a player that you view as like the next Nick Bosa. If you're going to give up this kind of capital to move up to number two, and maybe Iki Aquanu as well, the tackle out of North Carolina State, you have to get a elite prospect that you just cannot afford to wait back to make this kind of a sacrifice giving up that many picks. So I don't see that trade happening, but certainly it was one that we wanted to explore. If the Seahawks are really feeling bold, if there's a guy they just fall in love with, you know, if Malik Willis was their guy and they were worried about the Texans maybe picking him at number three, then go up and get him at number two. But you're going to have to give up a pretty penny. Speaking of the Texans, to me, that is a little more likely spot. If the Seahawks are really going to be aggressive, and I think the draft picks match up better for them not necessarily to give up their entire future. Because number one and number two overall, if you want to trade up to those picks, you've got to give up a boatload of assets. And not that number three is going to be cheap, but there is a drop-off on the Rich Hill trade chart. You can move up to number three without giving up as much. So this is, again, based off of that draft chart. 
the Texans giving up number three, number 68, and number 80. The Seahawks would be surrendering number nine, number 40, and number 41. Based on the trade chart, yes, this is a negative 60 for Seattle. They're giving up 682, Texans giving up 622. But at this stage of the draft, Rob, this early, the team that trades up is always going to get hosed. You are not going to get a 100% even deal in the top 10 picks because these are premium selections. If you want to trade up, you better give up a little extra to get it. Yeah, and I think that if you just look at that uh, that that possible trade with Houston, who of course Seattle has some experience in, in trading with Houston, um, you know, then that's a lot more palatable. I mean, you're going to get back those those two extra those, those two day three selections for what you just gave up. Now, certainly they're not going to be in the top ten of the second round the way that Seattle is beautifully positioned, in my opinion, currently. But at the same time, moving up from number nine to number three. Yeah, you pretty much pick out whatever offensive lineman you want, whatever quarterback that you want. I don't know that you're necessarily going to get one of the top pass rushers of the top two because that's what I expect to happen in the top two is pass rusher, Trayvon Walker, Aiden Hutchinson, probably in whatever order they're going to go. But still, again, Jermaine Johnson is the guy that I really am intrigued by and Kayvon Thibodeau absolutely as well. I am not quite as intrigued by the quarterbacks. I think that if there is a quarterback in this class, then you might be able to get him at number nine or perhaps one of those offensive tackles again. But still, if the Seahawks feel enamored with any one of those players, now is the time to go and do it. I don't want to continue to belabor the point about Pete Carroll's age because the man has more energy at his age than I do at my age. But at the same time, that is absolutely something that Seattle has to consider. So if they want to compete right now, if they want to shock the world the way that it seems like the Seahawks always do on draft day, that certainly be one way that they could do so. Now, let's be honest. Trading up into the number two or number three spot seems like it's improbable, if not impossible. John Schneider trading up in general would be a major change, but trading up all the way to number two or number three, that would be a, a, you know, earth shattering revelation because that's just not how John Schneider typically operates. He's aggressive, but not in that sense. I think pick number five of the New York Giants, though, is that first sweet spot because the Giants have two selections, number five and number seven. They have two top 10 picks. They may be willing to do some business, and I think that is where you start to think about, okay, we're at number nine. Maybe one of those tackles like Evan Neal falls at number five. Let's go get our left tackle of the future. Now, the Giants may want Evan Neal in that case. They certainly could use offensive line help, but nonetheless, that may be your first prime opportunity. And again, your cost to move up to number five probably isn't going to be as much as it would be going up to – you know, get number three from Houston. This is the trade that we came up with. The Seahawks would trade number nine, number 41, and number 109, their fourth rounder, and they would get number five and number 81, a third round selection in return from the Giants. And this trade would be a negative 43. Seattle gives up 565 trade points. New York gives up 522. Maybe Seattle has to throw in one of their late pick to really make this work, but this would match up well on the trade chart. All the simulators I've ran, this trade gets agreed upon 95% of the time. So I would think that this would be that first sweet spot where you're only moving up four spots. That's where I could see John Schneider maybe having a little bit of an itch to make this move. 
Yeah, I think that's, again, especially among the edge rushers and the offensive tackles, I think that is really what Seattle is prioritizing at this point. Um, and so if they have a certain edge rusher or offensive tackle that they are absolutely in love with, um, you know, it, it would make all the sense in the world from the New York Giants perspective to be able to drop down a couple of spots and get a couple of extra uh, selections. I don't think that Seattle is going to trade up in this class and into you know earlier into the top 10. But, you know, if Seattle feels that there is a guy who is a super blue chip type of prospect, then you got to go get him. When are you ever going to be in the top 10? And, and so go get him. And, and so I, I just think that there is a little bit more validity to this idea than, than maybe some out there are expecting. Um, especially when it is a, a, a selection like that, where you're only moving up a couple of spots, you're giving up three picks to get two picks kind of a thing. It's just not that cost prohibitive anymore. Yeah. And I think it's worth noting one other example here, one other scenario that could play out just because Scott Fitterer used to work for John Schneider. He was on the Seahawks front office was a key part of their drafting back in 2010, 2011, 2012, when they were bringing in, the Russell Wilsons and Richard Shermans of the world. Scott Fitter was a key cog on that scouting staff, and now he's the general manager for the Panthers. And at number six, Carolina sure sounds to me like they're open for business, and they probably should be. They don't have a second-round pick. They don't have a third-round pick. This is a team that wants extra draft capital. They might not be sold in the quarterbacks that are available at number six either. So trading down to number nine seems like that might be the most realistic thing. And I'm going to say this, Rob, looking at this trade possibility, moving up to number six, if Ahmad Gardner is still there, makes a ton of sense because the Giants and the Falcons, the two teams after, I don't think Atlanta would have much interest there, but those are teams that could potentially trade back with another team. You could have somebody leapfrog you to go get Sauce Gardner. And I also like this trade because you can get a couple day three selections for the Panthers and say, hey, here's pick number 40. We're giving you a second round pick as well as our number nine pick. You give us number six, number 137, and number 149. Seattle's still going to be able to get a lot of picks. They give up one of those prime second rounders, but this ends up matching up fairly well. The Seahawks would still lose by 56 on the trade chart. So the Panthers are getting a good value deal here, and yet the Seahawks really aren't giving up that much to move up a few spots to potentially get a shutdown corner. If one of those tackles falls, could be there at six as well. I think this is the true sweet spot, not just because of the relationship with Fitterer, but it just seems like it matches up. Well, I think it matches up. And one of the other things I really like about it is not so much just this possible trade scenario. I do fully expect Seattle to wind up getting themselves another selection on day three. As it stands currently, Corbin, Seattle has a pick, a couple of picks in the fifth round and then a pick in the seventh round. There's a 76 selection gap between their selections in the fifth and the seventh. I just have a hard time believing that John Schneider is going to go golfing or something for 80 selections. I think one way or the other, the Seahawks are going to wind up getting themselves back into that mix somewhere. So again, whether it be a move like this one, or they actually move up and also move back and, and get those day three selections, or a possible more likely kind of John Schneider-ish kind of move, moving back at some point, I do expect them to wind up adding a sixth or early seventh round selection to wind up kind of getting themselves back into that mix. It's just a different time period because in recent drafts, we usually didn't have a first round pick to talk about, or 
We knew the Seahawks were going to trade down because they're picking in the mid to late 20s, but we got a top 10 pick, and that just creates a lot more flexibility, especially when you don't have a quarterback like the Seahawks currently don't, and they have a number of positions to fill. And so if you thought the last decade was unpredictable, this particular draft may be the most unpredictable one ever for John Schneider and Pete Carroll as they try to reload this roster. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out the Locked on Seahawks podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, streaming five days a week on YouTube. When we return tomorrow, we're going to get in our final predictions. It will be at one day until the start of the 2022 NFL Draft. We're almost to the finish line, and the Jaguars will be on the clock. Going to dish out some predictions. Going to look over our dual mock draft one last time, and we're going to move on to the draft. Really fired up. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks.